0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. Secure Talk is brought to you by AdiQuest, your cybersecurity and compliance partner. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I will be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be speaking with noted cybersecurity expert Tom Krantz, who recently penned the book Making Sense of Cybersecurity. I'd like to let you know beforehand that at the earlier parts of the discussion, Tom had some issues with his Wi Fi. There is um, a few times where the conversation gets cut out, uh, garbled a bit. But as the uh, conversation progresses and gathers momentum, the Wi-Fi improves. And I found that this to be a very enjoyable and also informative conversation about um, some some of the aspects of cybersecurity that affect everybody and everybody should be aware of. I also would like to let you know that at the end of this discussion, you'll find out how five lucky listeners can get a chance or will not just get a chance, they will actually receive a free copy of Tom's book or Tom's ebook. But to learn how to do that, you got to listen through those rough spots at the beginning and be patient because there's lots of nice tidbits of cybersecurity knowledge and information and a chance to get a free copy of Making Sense of Cybersecurity written by Tom Krantz. Tom, how are you today? How are you doing today?
1: Um, great, thanks, Mark. Thank you much for having me on. Uh, it's
0: my pleasure. And if I understand correctly, you're um, you're living in Italy right now, is that is that
1: correct? Yes, yes. We are uh, tucked away up in the mountains, the Italian Apennines up in the north of Italy. Um, so uh, weathering COVID and all sorts of other uh, madness at the moment quite nicely because uh, <laughs> we live out in the middle of nowhere. It's quite handy
0: which is probably a safe place to be though Italy did get obviously hit really really hard last year at the uh, at the outset how i mean how are things going over there now
1: um it's not been too bad over the last few months they've they've just announced some uh, new restrictions uh, coming in today actually they uh, they got announced today so there's they're limiting travel within regions and um, they're closing some of the big sort of shopping centers at the weekends um but it's very very rural where we live so um we uh, I, it's about a 30-minute drive down to our, our local major town, I say that. If you can imagine me doing little speech mark symbols with my hands at the moment because <laughs> our our major town only has about uh, 1,200 people in it at this time of year. Wow. Um, Sounds- so there's there's lots of little small stores and things like that.
0: Sounds awesome. Sounds really great. Um, just out of curiosity, and this has nothing at all to do with cybersecurity, but I did take a look at your bio. <laughs> So so why not? It's on your bio, I think it's fair game. Um, and we'll get to your book and your, and your professional experience in a second here. But um apparently you um and you you what do you do? You rehabilitate a collection of rogue dog or rescue dogs and cats. Um what's what's oh, that about? Yes. Why why that and why in Italy? <laughs> I'm just I'm trying to so, connect the dots um, here, man. I know there's a pattern here somewhere, but Yes. So uh,
1: I have I have three kids. They're all uh, grown up now. Mm -hmm. I had kids very young and all of the kids uh, are on the autistic spectrum Uh, and I'm on the autistic spectrum as well. And I got involved in some uh, charities in the UK that help uh, parents of children on the autistic spectrum train up dogs and cats as uh, support animals to help children with transitions, things like going to bed and getting dressed and stuff like that. Um, And uh, as, as as part of that, I worked with a local rescue centre in the UK uh, and adopted a rescue dog, trained her up to uh, help my kids when they were younger and help them with their autism. Um, and then off the back of that, um, I adopted another rescue dog um, because I carried on working with the rescue centre and uh, I've got a bit of a soft spot for dogs as well, and then adopted some cats and things and uh, I got a reputation working with the rescue center as someone who could rehabilitate dogs that um, had had suffered abuse or they were having difficulty rehoming. So it ended up that actually the rescue center would get in touch with me and let me and my partner know whenever they had a new animal coming up that they couldn't rehome or had behavioral difficulties or have been very badly abused. So I ended up sort of uh, being saddled really with the hard luck cases. And then when we moved to Italy, we brought them all across with us um, and then did the same thing over in Italy. So I've been working with a rescue charity over here. uh, We've adopted two dogs so far um, who are both, uh, all, all of our dogs are sort of failed working dogs or they're working dog crossbreeds. so they've all had a very high prey drive, they're very difficult to train and they need a sort of established routine and lots of space to run around with. We've faced a similar situation over here in Italy um, where they have a breed called Canic also, I don't know if you're come across them but they're, they're huge they're massive great dogs um, and lots of people have uh, bought them as puppies thought they were quite cute and then when they got up to 50 55 kilos and they're monstrous big dogs they need to get rid of them so we've uh, acquired a couple of italian canicorsos over here which is, is great because where we live up in the mountains, um, we're surrounded by wolves, wild boar, deer, wild goats. We've got all sorts going on here. So having a, a well-trained pack of dogs to keep us safe and company in the winter months has worked out quite well.
0: That is amazing on many different levels. And uh, hats off to you uh, for, for, for doing that. I mean, that's just um, it's really impressive uh, Yeah, in terms of how the dogs can help autistic children and how you're out actually helping these dogs. Um, to kind of uh, get rehabilitated, as you said, and I, you know, I actually had a follow-on question because you mentioned opinionated ducks, but I think we'll leave that to maybe our next conversation. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really interested in how these ducks get their opinions, you know, and and I know that uh, apparently when they're the first animal that they see, they what, what do they call that? They kind of um, attach themselves to, and it, but um, I, I'm, yes. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave that because I think um, your secure talk is supposed to be about cybersecurity. <laughs> But it it sounds really really fascinating what you're doing there. Um, why don't we jump now into a little bit about your your, your background in the cybersecurity space, um, and then we'll talk a little bit about your book.
1: Yes, so I, I got started uh, back in the early '80s when I was about ten years old. Uh, my dad was a teacher at the time, and in the UK, the state broadcaster, the British Broadcasting Corporation the (BBC), was working with the UK government to uh, teach school children. Um, IT skills. It was, it was the early 80s, the sort of home computing boom was really kicking. Um, and as part of that, the BBC had a competition amongst computer manufacturers to, to build a computer to the spec of the BBC, which they could use to teach computing skills. Um, and Acorn was the manufacturer who won that. Uh, with what was the BBC Micro, uh, absolutely hands down the best computer ever in the history of mankind, it was fantastic, um, and because my dad was a teacher he got access to one. Um, so he literally came home from work one day and and slapped this big pile of boxes down in the living room and said this is called a computer, I don't know how it works, you guys are going to have to teach yourselves how to do it. Uh, so we got it all plugged in, got it all up and running and started to program and, and work out how to actually get the thing to do anything. Um, I had interest sort of 10, 11 year olds do when they're given a computer, uh, and got into copying games. I didn't have much pocket money at the time. It was it was hugely expensive to buy games. It was it was like two months worth of my pocket money and odd job money to actually buy a, a game on cassette. So I started to learn how to copy protection. I wanted to take backup copies of some of the games because I didn't want my brothers playing my saved games and ruining my uh, progress in the game. Um, and alongside that uh, I found out that my dad had brought home this thing called a modem and uh, read through the instruction manual and discovered you can actually dial up other computers and then you can send messages to people and you can upload and download software and that really opened my eyes to sort of how computers could be connected together how you could you could really get under the covers of computer and then share information with other people as well. Um, at the time the uh, UK state telecoms company, British Telecom, um, had a system called Prestel, uh, where uh, you, you you could connect to your computer, you could dial up with the modem, you could download information, but for a monthly fee, you could also have an email inbox. Um, and at the time, the UK Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, Prince Charles, and you know, all these people had the Prestel emails. emails, um, and I couldn't afford, not even remotely, the subscription costs for this. Um, had worked out from talking to uh, other people on bulletin boards and, and dial-up systems that um, I'd, I'd got the Prestel dial-in numbers and so started trying to guess usernames and passwords just for a laugh, and then got access as a BT systems engineer and was able to create my own uh, subscription-free Prestel account. So I got to send off emails to. to key politicians things like that right into security it's basically okay if if you're a bt systems engineer make sure that your account number isn't 222222 and make sure your password isn't 1234 well, this was all going great, and then I came across the the sort of second side of understanding computer security, which is being found out and punished for breaking the law. My dad came home one day, saw me logged into Presto, and went absolutely mental. Mate, um, I was I was banned from the computer for a month. The modem was taken away and never seen again. It was it was harsh times. It was harsh times. Um, but that 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 sort of fostered my interest in computers, in in making them do things that people weren't really planning for you to do you know hacking at its most fundamental sort of level how does this work what can I make it do what happens when I make it do that what else can I make it do and that kind of launched my my career in IT but then also closely coupled with that uh, a career in IT security because it's once you know how things work and you know how you can build solutions and, and quite complex infrastructure from them the next question is well if I can see how to break that other people can see how to break it. So, how do I make it secure? How do I stop people like me doing the usual sort of stupid stuff that I would do when I start playing around on a system? And, and so, as I advanced over my career, I've worked in these, I've built some fairly chunky pieces of infrastructure over the years. Um, did work with supercomputers, lots of silicon graphics, and some microsystems, high end systems. Um, built some mission critical. Five nine uh, solutions for various organizations, but all through that at the back of my mind is always okay. How do I break this?
0: So um, Tell us a little bit about your book um, The uh, making sense of C- cybersecurity. Who is it? Who's it written for? And you know, what's it about?
1: So I, I've i worked at a, a number of different consultancies over the years. Um, I've run my own consultancy um, and I've I've been frustrated at how opaque security can be, um, especially for the very people we're trying to help. You know, we're we're going out and talking to executives, to managers, to people who want to use computers and don't necessarily want to understand computers. And and we're trying to make them be more secure. We're trying to help them help themselves. But there's there's nothing really aimed at them. You know, security people are very good at coming up and saying, oh, that's a that's a rubbish password. You need to have 200 characters long and it has to include Russian characters. <laughs> and you need to have Egyptian yeah. hieroglyphs in your password to make it secure. You know, we go out of our way to make life- and it needs to be and it
0: needs to be changed every every 48 <laughs> it's, hours. Right? It's exactly
1: that. And it's, it's we go out <laughs> yeah. of our way to make people's lives difficult when we should be helping them understand why they need to do this stuff and helping them. Be more secure in a way that works for them, um, and and this hasn't changed, and it's it's got more and more frustrating over the years. Especially when I go and talk to you know executive leadership team, when I talk to the C suite, and I, I constantly get this push, pushback about well, but but why why should we do that? Why why does this matter? What does what does that mean? How does that apply to me? Oh yes, you know I saw this company get breached by by Iranian cybersecurity hackers and you know they lost 40 million Credit card details, but that's not going to happen to us, is it? And and by the way, did you see this? This really great Nigerian prince has just emailed me, and I've I've got twelve million dollars coming. Out. It's it's those things go hand in hand, and and we're not helping people understand the very obvious dangers they face, and we talk about big grandiose dangers. You know, we we build infrastructure and we build solutions, and we have firewalls and we have um, you know deep level packet scanning, and we make sure that people have to. Use Use all these tools to check their code. When are we warning people about the dangers of, of, you know, hygiene? All, all those sort of little things. Those are th- things that make people secure. Those are the things that help people understand that there's a risk they face. And it's not. The and so there's this, this lack of, of proportional, relevant security advice for people. And um, it, it got to the point where I got so annoyed, I thought, well, I, there's no point being annoyed about it. Do something about it. And, and hence writing the book. And it's it's not supposed to be an exhaustive introduction to cybersecurity, but it is enough to help people understand, ah, oh, okay, this is what it's about. This is how hackers think. This is how an attacker views me. This is what this thing means. This is how it works. Ah, oh, okay, I get it now. And you know, it. it it deals with the most obvious stuff. It deals with the most common stuff, and arguably some of that stuff isn't as important to a cybersecurity budget as um, state-sponsored hacking or, you know, major flaws in in printers or something like that. But this is the stuff that helps people understand what we as cybersecurity professionals are talking about. Um, it makes it real for them. It makes it relevant for them. And that, I think, is the biggest thing that, that we as a profession can do to help people help themselves be more secure in how they use computers and the Internet and, and technology in general.
0: No, I, I think you bring up an excellent point. And uh, almost every organization that we touch base with um, and most of the people in those organizations, if you say who's responsible for cybersecurity, they would point to one or two guys in the IT team um, and say oh well that's that's their responsibility that's their job and and it's kind of like saying who's responsible for profitability of the company well everybody is and who's responsible for cybersecurity? at the end of the day everybody is because you're only as strong as your weakest link right so you could invest <laughs> a bajillion dollars in the latest greatest technology but if somebody takes a thumb drive that they found in the parking lot and comes in and puts it into their laptop uh, assuming that the latest greatest technology doesn't prevent them from doing that, uh, they, you're going to have a problem, right? And if they're if they're clicking on phishing emails that they shouldn't be clicking on, so you, you got to have both, right? And um, mm. and 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 but part of it is just creating that awareness that it is everybody's responsibility, right? Um, in fact, in your book, you say um, I think you have a section called cybersecurity, everyone's problem. So talk a little bit about that.
1: Yes. So it's um, it, it that that actually came from a conversation I had with a friend several years back. Um, who was, he was very pleased. He he brought a brand new car um, and he was showing it off. It was a fairly snazzy BMW actually. Um, and then I met up with him uh, for lunch about six months later on. And he was he was really upset. And it turns out that the engine had, had just seized and blown up and i was saying oh you know it's it's a brand new car dude what's what's, what's going on with this and it's a bmw it's supposed to be a bit a re- bit more reliable um and he said he had it trailed to the garage um, and they looked at it and they said oh you you hadn't topped up the oil it had Ooh. run out of oil and the engine oh. had seized oh, <laughs> um, oh my gosh <laughs> and 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 he said you know the the garage gave him a really hard time and said look it's your responsibility to check the oil and to top up the oil and he said, but, but no one showed me how. No one told me this. It's the first car I've ever had. Um, and, and that, for me, encapsulates the problem we face in cybersecurity. You know, it's, it's people are using computers. They're using technology. They're at risk from software flaws, from application flaws, from companies trying to steal our data or to, to manipulate us in various ways. We're not telling them how this stuff works. We're not telling them the basics. We're not telling them how to check the oil. Um, At a technical level, Uh, and 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 so when they do get hacked, they're they're completely blindsided by it. And and for me, you know, it's it's people people don't like having problems pointed out. Um, And and I had some pushback from from whenever I bring this up because people say, "We cybersecurity isn't really my problem, is it? You know, it's not to me. It's not down to me to fix it. Right? That's your job. That's that's what I pay you for." And it's like, but it we all use. Technology. We all have computers in one form or another. Whether it's our mobile phone or a laptop or a desktop or a tablet, it's a computer. It runs software. It has vulnerabilities. It's a problem that affects us all. I'm not expecting, you know, my my 21-year-old daughter to suddenly reverse engineer all of the software running on her Android mobile phone and fix all the security flaws. You know, it's it's security is a problem, but that's not the problem she needs to fix. But you know, I I do expect her to have some sort of uh, anti-malware software running on there to to understand how attackers can inject malware into her applications, to have some sort of ad blocker there to stop malicious adverts running up and, and you know, stealing data from her, her mobile phone. But it's it's this level of stuff. We we need to be clear that it's a problem that affects all of us. And then the next stage is to help people understand, right, okay. And there's things that you can do to help yourself, to protect yourself. You know, it's, it's nothing's, if, if, if we've moved through those those um, stages of, of realisation, you know, unconscious incompetence, that's where most people are. They don't know that they don't know about security. And then we move to, to conscious incompetence. You know, they understand that they know, they don't know much about security, but that it's a problem for them. And then I want to help people take take them through to conscious incompetence, um, conscious uh, competence, where where they understand. Okay, I understand a bit of this and i can do some stuff to fix some things and i feel in control again i feel like you know this is this is not something that's going to blindside me and then the security profession as a larger whole moves into unconscious competence you know the rest of us are out there fixing this stuff without really giving it much of a thought and it's oh yeah i've, I've got some north korean hackers again well that's that's just a tuesday morning for me right let's just get on with some patching but it's it's helping people get past that initial stage of oh Oh, is there a problem and, and does it affect me and then helping empower them into the next stage of I know how to deal with some of that I know how to manage that and protect myself while leading them through to the and this is what the rest of the cybersecurity industry is here to do you know we're here to support and help people with the wider issues and help bring them through that that acknowledgement that level of empowerment and understanding
0: yeah I, you know what you're talking about kind of It's a a whole paradigm shift. The way we work now and the way we live our lives compared to say when I was growing up um, is so radically different and the flow of information and the the volume of it and what we have on our phones and in our laptops that the PII that we we share with other organizations daily um, and how we do that, this is all new, relatively speaking, right? And so you can understand that there's this lag in understanding in terms of what is privacy, what, what, what are my rights, what are best practices to, in terms of protecting my data. Um, and, you know, things like public Wi-Fi, we're like, wow, man, Starbucks has Wi-Fi. This is awesome. I can get on here and do my, my e-banking. And, you're, and you know what? Maybe that's not a good idea, right? Because, and who would know? Who would know? Because when I, you know, when I grew up, there was no, I didn't know what Wi-Fi was, right? And so it's kind of like, this is the greatest thing. And and so what you're talking about is is just breaking it down for everybody mm. to say hey you know what these are some you know, <laughs> the the North Koreans are the least of your worries but um, you know <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's these guys that want to get you, you know your your uh, PayPal account login and you're sitting there at Starbucks giving it to them and you don't even understand that right so um, what exactly if, what if you know if you could just give like three tips for I would say for, for the masses, but also even for uh, leaders, executives in companies that say, hey, you know what, here are three things that everybody should be aware of. I mean, you mentioned a couple, like, you know, having the, the right uh, a- anti-malware um, software, mm. etc. But what, what, would, what would be your top three? Um,
1: so, ooh, good one. I, I, I think anti, anti-malware, anti-virus, some sort of, of anti-malware suite, is, is is definitely on there. Yes, there are ways to get past it. Yes, there are ways to spoof it. Yes, as a cybersecurity industry, we're always falling over each other to breathlessly say, oh, here's a new strain of banking Trojan, and it can't be detected by, by antivirus. But you know what, that's a constantly changing sort of uh, escalation. It's an arms race. New malware comes out, New antivirus comes out to deal with it. New malware comes out. New antivirus, and so on and so on and so on. But you know, the, the the bare minimum should be stick some anti-malware on your phone, on your on your laptop, on your desktop. It's it's better than nothing, and it deals with the majority of bad stuff that people will try and do. Um, I I think the next one is uh, passwords. Uh, passwords suck. They have always sucked. They sucked back in the day of BT and Prestel. They suck today. They will suck in a decade's time. You know, we are not going to make systems more secure by making passwords more and more ridiculous to remember and guess. Everybody, please get a password manager. There's loads of them out there. Some of them free. Some of them are low cost. Some of them get bundled with your um, uh, anti-malware suite now. But you know, having a tool that will generate unique random passwords for you that you don't need to remember, where you can have a different password for all your different accounts. That's, that's got to be the single biggest thing, not just to make people more secure, but to make people's lives easier. You know, I'd, I'd really like us to get to the point where, you know, people are not having to sit there and say, oh, I, I, I need four special characters and two numbers, but I can't use those numbers because they use them for my banking account. It's just, we're we're making people's lives a misery and we're not making them more secure while we do it. So password managers everywhere. and a, a, a personal favorite of mine is always, as you mentioned, actually public Wi-Fi. It's it's enormously convenient. I mean, I'm a consultant. I travel lots. I'm constantly on trains and in airports and hanging around in coffee shops, free public Wi-Fi, subscription public Wi-Fi, you know, buy some coffee, buy a meal, get some free Wi-Fi. It's it's an absolute godsend. It's excellent. But as you say, it's it's trivial to spoof, it's trivial to intercept. Um, just because I'm sitting in in Starbucks somewhere doesn't necessarily mean I'm connecting to Starbucks' public Wi-Fi, regardless of what my computer tells me. Um, so I think VPNs, you know, have a, a secure encrypted tunnel between our machine, which is relatively trusted, and a trusted third party, and then encrypt all of our traffic through that. Uh, lots of lots of companies are kind of seeing the light and making sure that mobile workers always use VPNs to connect to their services and cloud-based organizations um, are making it a lot easier to use VPNs to access their services as a way of just, just cutting out that eavesdropping middleman. VPNs are a very quick, easy, simple way of making our lives slightly more secure. And and as with all things, you know, yes, there's a way past them. Yes, there are downsides to VPNs, but really as a, the average user in a coffee shop, it doesn't care. You know, is, is, is your VPN endpoint compromised? Uh, is a hostile government spying on it? Well, really, that's not going to impact you. But the, the dodgy guy sitting next to you, tapping away on his laptop, who's capturing banking details to defraud you. that That's the risk you need to deal with. And a VPN is is good enough. Um, I think one of the, the sort of fundamental sins of cybersecurity is is that we're always trying to be perfect at everything and you can't be and we need to start changing our mindset into okay what's good enough for the risks you face yeah I bang on about it a lot but what's what's relevant and proportional and sustainable for you it'll be great for me to take my dog everywhere and use my dog to guard my laptop constantly but it's just not going to happen um having a unique password for my laptop, remembering to turn off my laptop, making sure I've got anti-malware on it. You know, those, those are good enough things that are good enough for the threats that, that we will all face on a daily basis. this.
0: That's some excellent advice. And while you were talking that, I was kind of reflecting on your story about your friend and his brand new BMW and him forgetting to, um, <laughs> or to put oil in the engine. And in the cars in the U.S., I don't know about the U.K., but I'm I'm pretty much sure that you got the same stuff over there as we got here. But on our dashboard, we have these things—they're little indicator lights. We call them dummy lights. It's like, hey Mm. dummy, hey dummy, (laughs) your engine's going to seize up if (laughs) you don't put some oil in there, right? But a a lot of um, devices and a lot of the apps that we use these days also have. Um, I would call little indicators like, hey, you know what, that spreadsheet has some PII, some, you know, credit card information or social security information in there. Um, You may want to encrypt that. Or in fact, as our company has a policy on this, you are forced to encrypt it if you're going to send it to anybody outside the organization, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Is Mm -hmm. that helping? Or like, for example, uh, you know. Uh, flagging an email saying, hey, you know what? This looks pretty dodgy, all right? <laughs> this is the, the same Nigerian prince that, uh, <laughs> that you know <laughs> has promised us stuff in the past. So um, not to pick on Nigerians <laughs> or princes, but I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> there uh, are I, many other nationalities and there exactly. are many <laughs> other types of <laughs> exactly Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so, but are these type of flags and alerts, are they... Helping or are people getting are they getting just kind of like is it be creating noise and people are just ignoring them?
1: Um, so I, I think they help given context. Um, I, I've seen a lot of unfortunate security programs where a decision is made at a strategic level. We must enable all of this stuff. And it's turned on across the organization. And people have to sit through a really tedious 15-minute slide deck, which they forget instantly, which says why they're doing it. And then that's it. It's it's just gone and it's background noise. I think we need to change our approach about that and, and make it much more relevant to people in, in their daily lives. I'm, I'm working with some clients at the moment and uh, the emails that they get from outside their organisation have a nice red bar across the top saying be aware this, is, this email has been sent from outside the company, double check before you open any attachments. Um, and if you then try and send some attachments out, you get a nice little pop-up saying, again, this, this this email address is outside the company, you've attached something, please double check and make sure that it's appropriate to send to someone outside the organisation. And that works hand in glove with all of the back-end cybersecurity systems that analyse uh, outgoing data for PII, that look for incoming malware that's embedded in attachments and things like that so they they have a whole training system where rather than forcing to sit people to sit through a slide deck they have someone come and actually talk to them and and explain this stuff and explain it in a way that is personal you know it's 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 not here here comes the auditor and he's going to lecture us for 30 minutes about how much we suck when it comes to letting through email viruses you know it's someone who comes in and talks to the these people as peers and, and tells them stories about, you know, well, this 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 is how attackers send you viruses. This is how people steal data from a company. This is what these systems are in place to stop doing and this is how they work and this is what we do behind the scenes to help you with it. You know, it's 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 much more relevant to how people work. Um, I know uh, Google have uh, looked at removing the padlock from the URL bar from Chrome, and they floated that idea quite a few times. and And their argument has always been, well, it's kind of meaningless to people. People don't look at it. and And I've always had issue with that because it's like, well, you, you're not you know, you're not explaining to them why they should. You know, you're not telling them how they should be checking the oil or why they should be checking the oil or why it's important that the engine has oil in the first place, you're just flashing a light in their face and then having a go at them when they get it wrong. You know, it's it's this is an education. We're not supporting people by doing this. We're punishing them because we ourselves are not doing a good job of explaining and educating and supporting. Yeah, realistically it's our fault that people are being caught out by their stuff. It's not theirs. And and so I think all of these, these systems in place, these alerts, these warnings, you know, they're, they're, they're not obtrusive. They're not obnoxious. They don't stop you doing your day-to-day work. But as long as people are properly educated and supported as why this is happening, what it means to them, and and not in a fearful way. You know, it's, it's not like you you get people together and, and say, right, so here's Bob and, and he clicked on this email and he downloaded Trojan. Um, and this is what happens. Bob, you're fired. Throw him to the lions. <laughs> you know, that, that doesn't really help anyone. That's, as that's, an industry. It feels as, good. As if you're industry, Bob's manager, it
0: feels really good, man. Like... <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it, 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 it does feel like as an industry where we, we thrive on this this fear you know, yeah. it's it's almost like we, we can't get budget unless our executive team are really scared. Right. We can't get change across the organization unless our developers and engineers are really scared. You know, we, we're not going to get users to do what we tell them to unless they're really scared. And then you, you look at how we we interact as an industry as well and it's it's you know the stories people tell the the articles that get the most coverage in the security press are always about the the huge juicy hacks the ones that are involved nation states or that have involved criminals or guns or smuggling or drugs or an insider who betrayed his colleagues you know it's, it's just it's all about spectacle and fear and none of it is actually about Helping people understand this is what goes on. This 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 is this is how attackers work. This is how this stuff plays out. And at at, at some level we've we've seen this, you know, waxing philosophical for a moment. We've seen this in, in, in our lives at a much broader basis recently. But if people people just become immune to it. They're just like, Yeah, okay. So this all of these this number of breaches and this number of credit cards being stolen, yes, it's just numbers, it doesn't really affect me. And and that, I think, is one of the biggest dangers that we as security professionals face is that the people just just get fed up with it. And they just start discounting what we say to them because it's like, yeah, you know, the Sony PlayStation Network was down for weeks. Well, I don't care. I play Xbox. Yeah, this company had 48 million credit card details stolen. I don't care. I don't shop with them. Oh, there's there's a there's a. a a guarantee from my credit card company that they'll reimburse any stolen data it doesn't really matter you know and, and at some point this this fear we have to keep on ramping up the fear it's like well they didn't just steal their credit card details they they, they took their pets as well and therefore they're holding their pets to ransom and that could be you if you reuse your hotmail password that'll be you bar my words you know it's just it it just runs out of the power to compel people to do what we want them to do and we're kind of reaching that tip point We, we, we we see with big password breaches that a huge percentage of passwords are able to be reused across multiple accounts it's because People have just given up trying to generate unique passwords and memorize unique passwords and use a different password each time. And they just sort of shrug and go, yeah, but yeah it happens all the time how bad can it be it's not going to affect me too much I don't really care yeah you always keep on saying that my car will catch fire if my password is reused but it's not caught fire yet I don't believe you it's it's we need to get out of this this mindset of scaring people there's there's enough scary security stuff going on in the real world without having to to conjure up issues to to compel people to comply with the latest policy that we've we've spewed out on them from our audit department you know it's it's we need to be really thinking about helping people understand and helping them come to the right decision based on helping them understand what's going on you know, yes yeah, I, mean, I want people
0: to... to 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 come back once again to the car analogy i mean you know car manufacturers don't go around telling us how Engines are seizing up left and right, and cars are exploding. And you know, there's there's they. You buy a car, and they're like, "Here's your manual, um, you know, and here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to come in at ten thousand and whatever every two thousand miles for your oil change." They kind of let you know, and then they kind of send you alerts and let you know. And <clears throat> as you're saying, it's an education process. Now, cars have been part of our culture uh, a lot longer than you know, IT and IT security. Um, so we, a lot of us, kind of just kind of second nature know this or we've heard you know th- certain things that we should do but still it doesn't matter I mean in, in any kind of equipment or appliance that you buy there's a manual and there's you know information and alerts and things like that and I, I, I kind of think that um y- you're right you know people are getting this kind of uh what's the word uh incident fatigue of hearing all these different horror stories and they just want to <laughs> like really what what do I need to be worried about? And, and you gave some really good advice earlier about, like, you know, public Wi-Fi, uh, password hygiene, and, um, uh, you know, using a good antivirus, anti-malware type of uh, application. That's, like, basic stuff. I can go take care of that right now. Uh, I'm not going go to go to war against the North Koreans. I just uh, – I got too much going on this week, okay? <laughs> but, but, yeah. So, hey uh, – Tom, I, I kind of have the feeling we could, could go on and, and, and talk more and more, um, but we're – in fact, your, your your Wi-Fi signal is, is markedly improving, so I'm really enjoying the conversation. Um, <laughs> but we're running out of time here. If people wanted to to get in touch with you or find out more about you or, or read some of um, – find out how they can get your book and so on, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Um, yeah, probably probably the best place, my website, um, tomcrans.com um or else uh, siliconbunny.com which has been around for for decades decades and decades and decades um both of those have have contact details and stuff uh on them they've got links to my social media accounts to my book to my linkedin profile um you know it's i i'm not one of those people who bangs on about this stuff and then just goes and buries my head in the sand you know i i practice what i preach i want to help people understand security. I want them to understand how to make themselves more secure. So I'm, I'm always more than happy to talk with people via email, via instant messaging, you know, online on social media. You know, if, if you've got questions, even if it's just, Tom, I think you're full of nonsense because I saw someone's car explode after they reused their password. <laughs> I know it's true. You know, if there's someone out there, I, I, I want to talk to you about that. I want to I hear that story. Um, and equally as well, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to, to share you know, my experiences and what I've learned from from building a career out of this stuff. You know, if, if people want to talk to me about how to get into cybersecurity, how to understand more about cybersecurity, you know, it's it's I firmly believe that part of our role is to educate people and part of our role is also to to give back to people. You know, there's a new generation of people, especially now with people losing their jobs, you know, there are people looking at, oh, I want to get into cybersecurity. I want to get into IT security. How do I do that? You know, it's, it's, there's a myriad of ways of doing it. There's, there's more than enough North Korean hackers for us to deal with across the, the different organizations. So very, very happy to, to help people with any of that.
0: Excellent. And I will uh, make sure that I put links to your sites and also some coupons for your, uh, for, I think we get five mm-hmm. free copies of your ebook um those will yes. be in the description yeah. to this episode in the SoundCloud um site and uh oh. i also uh, yeah no i in fact i would really you know i've enjoyed our conversation would like to have you come back on sometime in the near future and talk specifically on the last thing that you mentioned was about you know finding um jobs in the cybersecurity space or pivoting into cybersecurity mm-hmm. you know what's the outlook what skills are needed and all that and I think we could spend, you know, a good, easily half hour talking about that. And, of course, I want to come back and talk about those opinionated ducks. Uh, but we'll have to. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm really intrigued. I mean, when I get done with this, I'm going to go on Google. And I'm just going to see how opinionated are these ducks. But um, anyway, if they're Italian, <laughs> I can imagine Italians, you know, they, they, they tend to be more op- opinionated, you know. So... <laughs> Whereas the U.K. ducks, maybe slightly more reserved. I'm not sure. So... <laughs> uh, I'm going to get They... I'm gonna, they, I'm
1: gonna, they uh definitely characters
0: <laughs> yeah so hey yeah, tom it was, it was great talking with you and um l- wish yeah, you the, uh, the 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 best of luck this winter in the in the uh, the, the mountains of which, which mountains did you say they were
1: oh yeah so so the Apennines. um so we're if 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 you go onto a map and you look at uh, genoa on the coast and milan and turin and then draw a triangle between the three of them um the highest point in the mountains is where we are inside that triangle
0: Um, sounds like an absolutely lovely place
1: oh it's 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 epic in winter i have to say it is gorgeous um it gets a bit cold
0: (laughs) well stay warm stay safe and uh look forward to talking to you soon
1: yeah that's fantastic thank you very much and I'd, uh, i'd love to come back and have a